The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. Daddy, what's going on? Are you going to go to jail? It's fine, sweetheart. Everything's going to be fine. 
And he, he comes and he says, no license, uh, to get a driver's license, sir. And I say, yes, give him my license. He goes to his motorbike and he comes back and gives me a fine for $460. I know, and six points. And I'm like, if I was going to get caught doing 40, uh, 34 k's over the speed limit, I'd rather be doing 144 in a 110 zone on my motorbike, front wheel in the air. Like, let's at least, let's at least get something out of it. You know, but in his mind, uh, like the rules are the rules. It doesn't matter that rule, that road was designed to be 100. When I drove that road last week, I went 100. Exactly. You know? Yeah, but he, in his mind, he's like, rules are rules. That's the rules. My job is to enforce the rules regardless of how stupid the rules um, are. You know? Some rules are stupid rules, but I'm also not a fan of make your own rules. I think everyone gets to make up their own rules. That's a dumb rule too. You know, the only BMW drivers do that. But for the rest of us, we just generally follow the, the road rules. So, like on, on one hand, stupid rules that just frustrates me. Kind of the rules are rules no matter what. But on the other hand, everyone gets to do whatever they like. You know, like rules are relative. Choose your own rules. Live your own truth. Like that's equally unhelpful, don't you reckon? I was thinking about this, and I actually think that that kind of picture of how we drive, whether we take the Thailand approach or the India approach, where everyone does their own thing, or whether we take rules, the situation where you have dumb rules, I reckon that's kind of an example of the way the world works, don't you reckon? I reckon there's this continuum, this, the two big ends of the continuum, different words are used, but I want to use the words today, the, uh, the um, woke left, right? Uh, truth is relative, uh, do whatever works for you, uh, expediency, workable solutions. Well, that's one end of the spectrum. And then the other end of the spectrum is uh, what, I, what I've called the hyper-fundamentalist right. But you could call it the kingdom of rules or judgmental hypocrisy. That's another good description of it, isn't it? Like those are two, the two ends of the spectrum. So the two kind of approaches, that the ends of the two approaches to life. And all of us are trying to find a path. We're all trying to say, okay, how do I live? How do I live a good life? What is true? Where do I find meaning and purpose? What system or principles should organize my life? And the kind of two ex- extremes are the, the left and the right. You know, the woke left and the hyper-fundamentalist uh, right. And all of us are kind of looking uh, for truth. So on, on the left, the mantra is, you do you. Or sometimes I like to think of it as workable solutions. We'll just find something that works. Truth is relative. Everyone play your own game. It's politics. That's the mantra on the left. The mantra on the right is rules is rules. But my rules are the rules. And I can do whatever I like as long as I play by my rules. And I can enforce my rules on anyone I want to. If there are rewards for keeping the rules, there are punishments. Apparently, $460 and six points is a punishment for breaking the rules. So you live in fear the whole time of was that a police camera? Was that a speeding camera? Did the light change red before I went through? Because you don't want to get caught out breaking the rules and being punished. Right? Those are the two ends of the spectrum. And our passage today from John's Gospel kind of epitomizes this, um, these two approaches to life. You know, we have the left personified by Pontius Pilate who says, what is truth? Do whatever works. 
but it keeps you in power, keeps the people happy. He's, he's the pinup boy on this pilot for the woke uh, left. And the pinup boy, I guess, for the right would be Caiaphas, the high priest. He just maintains tradition, plays by his rules, uses power to oppress people, is judgmental, is self-righteous, is hypocritical, and that kind of the two big approaches. And then Jesus comes in the middle and he's on trial. But the irony is, although Jesus is on trial, he's actually putting the two worldviews on trial too. He's having a showdown with Pilate, he's having a showdown with Caiaphas and the religious leaders. And Jesus presents himself in this passage as the truth. He's the king of truth. He's the prince of truth. He's the, he is truth himself revealed. And I want to show you in this passage in John 18 how Jesus uh, critiques and rejects the work left and how he critiques and rejects the kind of hyper-fundamentalist right and presents himself as truth personified. He is the truth. He is the one who leads to life. He is the one who leads to joy. So our passage is John 18, uh, 28 to 40. Now, uh, at this point in John's, uh, John's Gospel, Jesus has been arrested. Um, he's been taken to Caiaphas, the high priest. There's um, leaders of the Sanhedrin have been trying to condemn Jesus uh, for being a false messiah, for breaking God's rules, for being an imposter. Uh, they um, don't have the power to, to execute him, so they have to get a pilot. As you might remember at this point in Israel's history, they're an occupied people. The Romans are in charge. So the Jews can kind of live their... Jewish lifestyles, but the Romans are in charge. The Romans have civil and military authority, and Pilate, as the governor of Judea, is the representative of Caesar, the Roman Empire. Uh, by this point in the story, it's very early in the morning, probably between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Anyone who's up that early this morning, bless your brother, bless your sister. Hopefully, uh, it's a good time praying and uh, going for a nice long walk rather than feeling ill or having to get up some other reason. Um, and it's 3, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. on kind of Passover Friday. It's the beginning of a week-long uh, festival. And the Jewish leaders are very mindful here not to defile themselves ceremonially. So they don't want to go into Pilate's palace because then they'll be unclean and they won't be able to participate in the worship festival over the next week. So they kind of stay outside on the patio and uh, Pilate goes in and out, backwards and forwards, talking to Jesus, talking to them. Uh, that's what's happening here. So let's look first at Caiaphas and the uh, other Jewish leaders, or what I'm calling the hyper-fundamentalist right. You could call it the kingdom of rules. Um, and what I want to show you is that the hyper-fundamentalist right promises life through rules. If you just follow the rules, keep the rules, you'll be rewarded with have life. But actually it's condemning, it's enslaving, it's hypocritical. Can you just push the off button? No, wrong one. Beautiful. Thank you. The rules of electricity, hey, no matter what, you can't get around them. Yeah, okay. Uh, and it's hypocritical, it's enslaving. Let's have a look. So this is John chapter 18, Jesus and Pilate, starting at verse 28. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early in the morning. 
And to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. I don't much. So Pilate came out to meet them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Look, take him yourself and judge him by your own law. We have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. They questioned Jesus. You know, they want him to deny his claim that he is the Messiah. Jesus doesn't answer their questions. He, uh, the witnesses confer and they can't agree either. Very frustrating. And then Caiaphas puts Jesus under oath and he says, Tell us, are you the Messiah? And I love this quote I found from a, a Bible scholar, um, Michael Birch. This is what he says Jesus' response when he's asked, Are you the Messiah? is to affirm his messianic title, but also to take the I am, namely the divine name, on his lips and to claim to be the heavenly son of man in Daniel 18, who shares glory with the ancient of days and who exercises divine judgment to the end of history. The Sanhedrin immediately explodes in revulsion and is united in horror at this blasphemous, a blasphemous claim and the verdict is a foregoing conclusion. So he's brought to Pilate the governor so that Pilate can affirm the verdict and authorize the immediate implementation of the execution. Like, isn't, isn't that just like deeply ironic? Like, you see all the layers of irony here? The, the, the Pharisees, right, they want to remain ritually um, clean. So they won't go into, they're concerned about holiness. They're concerned about honoring God. So they won't go into Pilate's house. But the irony is at the same time they're talking about honoring God and worshiping God and being clean before God, they are literally organizing the execution of God's only son. Hugely hypocritical. They, they want to be able to eat the Passover meal, to eat the Passover lamb, and to participate in, in worship together with the community of believers. Yet at the same time, they are slaughtering the lamb. They're killing Jesus, and they're cutting themselves off from the saving grace. They're hard-hearted towards him. It's so ironic that the, the, the fundamentalist right, it promises life, but actually because of its hypocrisy, it's, it's condemning. You just get tangled up in rules. It's comically tragic that they're trying to worship God on one hand, yet they're totally undermining on the other hand. They're following all the rules, but their hearts are so far away from the living God. They say they want to worship Him, but actually they're rejecting and condemning His only Son. It's tragic. You know, and there's a sense in which whenever we just go through the motions, we're doing a similar thing. Whenever we do all the outward rule-keeping behavior, you know, we don't swear, we play by the rules, we drive at 60 k's an hour, we do all the religious things we're supposed to do, or the ceremonial behaviors, but a heart to fire away from God. So coming to church when you hate your brother or sister is deeply ironic. Worshipping God with your hands in the air and singing all the words to all the songs off by heart, when your heart is fired away from God, is, is kind of a bit like what the Pharisees do, right? There's an inconsistency. And what Jesus is saying here 
is if you just play by the rules, that's not enough. Just, you know, the outward appearances, the uh, ritual observations, the traditional way of doing things, the kingdom of rules, it can't save you. There's no life. If there was ever anybody who could be saved by keeping all the rules and being ceremonially clean, it would be the Pharisees, the high priests. They're meant to be, meant to be the elite of the far right. But actually, their hearts are far from God. So they think they're judging Jesus, but actually Jesus is showing them up. He's showing up the hypocrisy. He's showing up the emptiness. He's showing up the hard-heartedness of this view. The kingdom of rules is an empty kingdom. It stifles, it crushes, it lacks truthfulness, integrity, and consistency. It's based on guilt and shame. There's no grace. There's no love. They think they're judging Jesus as Jesus is rejecting and condemning the hyper-fundamentalist right. That's the right. Then we have the left. And the left, the woke left, promises life through expediency, through political expediency, through finding a workable solution, through playing the game, through doing whatever it takes to maintain power and control. Whatever works is the motto. And we see this in Pilate, uh, verse 33. Pilate went back inside the palace. He summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate wants a yes or no answer from Jesus. Jesus doesn't give him a yes or no answer. I'll explain why in just a moment. Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or does someone... Or did other people talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests have handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to protect, sorry, to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is from another place. Jesus says, if I was playing games, if I was working a political angle, I would have raised an army. I would have stormed the palace. I would have taken control. My servants will have raised the sword and used political process and military power to exercise control. I'm not the king you're thinking of, Pilate. He's critiquing uh, the woke left. My king is not of this world. Now, verse 37. You are a king then, Pilate said. Jesus answered, you say I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Retorted Pilate. With that, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to your prisoner the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him! Give us Barabbas! Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. If you ever see Pilate, Pilate, uh, probably the most famous uh, Jewish, uh, sorry, Roman governor. Um, Pilate was the fifth governor of Judea. He was appointed by Tiberius Caesar in 26 AD and served uh, for 10 years. He's actually Spanish from Seville and joined the Roman army uh, at some point in his younger life. And Pilate, Pilate married well. Pilate's wife, 
Claudia um, Ocula, she was the granddaughter of Caesar Augustus. Pilate got the gig as governor of Judea because his wife was part of the royal family. He didn't get it on merit. He didn't get it on charm or charisma. He got the gig because his wife pulled the strings. Um, both Hellenistic and Jewish sources tell us a lot about Pilate, and almost all of it is critical. He is not one of the great, great men of history. Uh, we learn that he is oppressive, he's cruel, he's stubborn, he's greedy, he's brutal, and we have story after story about the atrocities he's committed against the Jewish people. And as a member of the lower Roman nobility, he always had to watch his back. He always had to lead up, keeping Rome happy. He always had to lead down, making sure that the people were under control. So Pilate ruled with an iron fist to show Rome that he was in charge and he could be trusted. Uh, after a few years after Jesus' death, he was recalled to Rome, and that was kind of the end of his political career. Now, Pilate embodies the work left. He's a, he's a moral relativist. He's an agnostic cynic. He's a career politician. Pilate, you see in this passage, Pilate's always looking for what can I do to maintain power and control, to achieve my goals? How can I work this situation to advance my goals? He's full of compromise. He's not principled. He's not righteous. He's a political player. And the whole way through this passage, we see him trying to angle. I mean, I think you would call um, Pilate an agnostic cynic. He's not devout. He's not um, kind of a, a holy man. He's agnostic. He's like, what is truth? He's cynical. Pilate asks, are you king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked him, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Now, Pilate asked the question, are you the king of the Jews? And it's a political question. Because remember, Pilate is trying to assess the risk that Jesus poses. Pilate is trying to work out, is this guy Jesus, is, is he an insurrectionist? Is he a political upstart? Is he amassing followers, building his kingdom, marshalling troops, growing his, his status so that he can march on Jerusalem and overthrow the Romans? Pilate wants to know, is this a political kingdom? You know, and somehow Pilate gets the idea, probably from the Sanhedrin, that Jesus claims to be the king of the Jews in some way. So Pilate wants to know, Jesus, tell us in his straight, are you a king, a political king, a military king? Are you here to overthrow the Romans? That's the question of his mind. Because if he is an insurrectionist, then he can execute him. But if he's just caught up in the Jewish law, then they can deal with it. So Pilate's trying to say, if I don't deal with Jesus politically, is that going to come back to bite me? If Jesus gathers an army, storms the temple, I get in trouble with the guys back in Rome, um, and now I'll be in trouble. So he's trying to work out, what do I, I do with this? But Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. But Jesus says, yeah, Pilate, yeah, I'm a king, Pilate. 
but not as you think. You're thinking about a political kingdom. That's not my kingdom. My kingdom is not from this world. It literally means not from this cosmos. I'm from another place. I, I'm, I don't involve myself in the politics of this world. Like my kingdom is above and beyond that. Because like, ah, so we are a king. So in, in Pilate's mind, he's thinking politically, the, the Jews have a question too. They want to know, is Jesus a Messiah king? Is he claiming to be the Messiah, the promised king of David? Because that's the kind of king they're looking for. They're looking for a nationalistic hero, a nationalistic military hero, someone like King David who can overthrow the Romans. So this is why this whole conversation about are you a king or not is so confusing because Jesus is saying, Pilate, if you mean by are you a king, am I a king to challenge Caesar? The answer is no. If I was, I'd have an army and I'd be storming the temple, storming the palace right now. You know, there's no army, therefore, I'm not a political king. If you're asking the question, am I the Messiah, the promised king of Israel, the answer is yes, but not as you think. Because I'm not the military king, like King David in that regard, the conservative, traditional king that's going to overthrow the Romans. That's not me either. I'm, the best way to describe my kingdom is it's neither the left nor the right, it's above and beyond. It's from another world. This, this is what Jesus. Uh, is saying here. He, he rejects both sides of the kingdom. He says, my kingdom is from another place. It's the kingdom of truth. And his idea here, truth, as John uses it here in this passage, it doesn't mean um, like trustworthy. Like, I'm telling the truth, you can trust me. Here, when Jesus says the kingdom of truth, he, he, means, he means reality. He says, I am here to show everyone what is really true, what is ultimately true. I'm here not, not to be reliable and consistent in that sense of truthfulness or upright. I'm here to pull back the curtains and to show you what is really real. I'm here to show you the corruption of the right and the left. I'm here to, to show you what is prime reality. My kingdom's not from this place. It started in heaven. I have a divine mandate. I was with God sent by God, the words I speak are God's words, the acts I do are God's acts, I am God's king, I am truth personified. I've come to reveal myself. Jesus here is showing that he is the king of truth. Truth here is a theological term. Jesus is the truth. He is reality lift out. He is the light of the world. He is the truth of the world. He is the bread of life. He is the water of life. He is the true vine. He is the gate for the sheep. He is the good shepherd. He is his ultimate truth and reality. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying the way to be in line with the truth is to be in line with me. To know me. To love me. To follow me. To serve me. To be in relationship with me. And the only way for that to happen is through my death and resurrection. You see, there's this irony in the passage here. Like, why do the Pharisees want to crucify Jesus? Like, why is execution so important? Because if they crucify him, they discredit him. Because it says in Deuteronomy 21-23, cursed is anyone that hangs on a tree. Cursed by God. So if you get crucified, you hang on a wooden cross, 
that is a sign to you and everyone else that God has cursed you, rejected you. So you cannot be a crucified Messiah. It's an oxymoron. How can you be crucified, cursed by God, and yet be God's chosen one? So in their mind, the Pharisees are thinking, if we can just crucify Jesus, that'll be the end of the Jesus story. Can't be Messiah if you're crucified. Right? But the irony, the deeper reality here, is that the way for Jesus to be victorious as King, as God's King, is through the sacrificial death and glorious resurrection. Do you see an irony? They think they're winning by crucifying Jesus. This is all part of God's plan. That is the way to salvation. It is, it is grace. It is mercy. It is self-sacrificial love. It is Jesus standing in our place on the cross, bearing our sin and shame and guilt, our hypocrisy, the way we've used and abused others. Jesus on the cross takes all the sins of the left, the woke left that just says, we'll just find something that works. All the sins of the right, hypocrisy and judgmentalism, takes them onto himself and provides a way to actually have life. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? This is why this passage is so powerful. It finishes with Barabbas. Again, it's a deeply ironic note here. Verse 38, What is truth? Pilate retorted. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for charge against him. And the Pilate now says, Guys, there's, there's no reason to execute this guy. But then he's thinking, Well, how can I use this situation to my advantage for political gain? And it totally backfires. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews, Jesus? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. And then John fills in the blank for us and says, Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Barabbas is a terrorist. He's an insurrectionist. He's a usurper. And the irony here is that Pilate releases Jesus, who is not a political threat to Rome. Jesus is not planning to raise an army and storm the palace. Peter gets out a sword, chops off the guy's ear. Jesus says, that's not how we do things here. This is not the kingdom of violence, kingdom of grace. Yet Barabbas is the opposite. He's a professional terrorist. He's got a track record. He's in jail for leading a political uprising against the Romans. And Pilate's like, so guys, for me to release Jesus, who's no threat to, the, to Rome, or to put the terrorist back on the street. It seems like this is the problem with the way the left is it backfires. You end up making decisions you think are good political decisions, but all they do is backfire. So where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? Jesus says, uh, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And that's us. We're to be the ones on the side of truth. To, to know what is ultimately real. To have the veil lifted up. To know that God is the God, the Creator, Savior, Redeemer, Sustainer of all things. That is what is absolutely true. So to be on the side of truth means listening to Jesus. That's what's important. Listening to Jesus does not mean uh, just understanding what he's saying or entertaining his ideas or being, that's interesting, Jesus, I might write that one down. 
listening to Jesus here is about action. It's about lifestyle. And Jesus says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What, they, what he means is that everyone who acknowledges me as the Savior King, God as Creator, they build their life around me. They build their life with the truth that I am God's chosen King, the Savior King. That becomes the foundation of their life. And their life is built on that truth. It means, to listen to Jesus means to put it into action, to live out the values of the kingdom. Put it into action. It means rejecting the woke left and its political expediency, workable solutions, you do you, find your own truth. It means rejecting that. But it also means rejecting Again, what I call the hyper-fundamentalist right, or the kingdom of rules, or the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, all different words to say the same thing. Empowering, uh, um, oppressing people through rules. Saying, well, this is the rule that trumps everything else. Like, like you can uh, implement the rule even if it means hurting people. And that's just destructive. And Jesus rejects both of those. He, he, he presents himself as the true king, the king of truth. Often reality revealed through his death and resurrection. And he says to us, if you want to be on the side of truth, if you want to live in reality, you build your life on me. That's, that's the invitation for us. is to reject the workable solutions of the left, to reject the Pharisaism and judgmentalism and um, hypocrisy of the right, and to walk in the ways of Jesus. To be people of grace, people of truth, people who are a light on a hill, people who are compassionate and merciful, people that speak and wash each other's feet, people that send their mum to live with their best friends so she'll be looked after, people like Jesus. I was reading this morning in uh, Luke 7 where the um, sinful woman uh, anoints Jesus' feet with her tears and breaks the perfume and how Simon the Pharisee is just shocked that somebody would act so recklessly. Like, who is she? And isn't she a sinner? Isn't she broken? And shouldn't Jesus condemn her like he's on the right? And Jesus says, You don't understand grace. You don't understand truth. You don't understand who I am, what it means to, to walk with me, to be with me. She's done a beautiful thing. She gets it. She gets truth. The interesting power. The invitation for us today is to put the life of Jesus into action. To live our life as if we were him. How would Jesus live his life? Live your life if he were you. If you live in your street, drove your car, was in your family, worked at your work, had your neighbours, played on your touch football team. How would he live your life? What does it look like for you to put into place? the life of Jesus in your life. And as we do, as we do that day by day, we might get rejected, we might get ridiculed, but ultimately, hopefully, as we honor God and glorify Him, those around us will see our lives and want to know what it is about us that provides the third way, the way of life. He was rejected, but we might be saved. Let's live that out together. Let's pray. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I, I think each of us has a, 
tendency, Lord, towards either the right or the left. Some of us will compromise, God. We'll just find something that works. We'll play the games and work the angles. We will relativize, rationalize, politicize, Lord, and, and we just we just see this passage that there's no life there. So Lord, we just save us from that. And with the others of us, we're we're on the kind of Pharisee side of things, Lord, and we think we have the right to do whatever we want if it fits with our rules. That we can judge people and condemn people and criticize people because we think they're broken the rules or don't meet the standard Lord. But Jesus will show us in this passage that both of those pathways lead to death and not to life. The Pharisees cut themselves off from the saving grace Lord because of their hypocrisy and judgmentalism and self-righteousness. And then Pilate too, he, he didn't see you standing right in front of him, he was face to face with the King of Glory. And he rejected him for political gain. Lord, there's no life, there's no life on those, on those paths. But the life and life of the full that you promised, promised us is a life where we live out the the kingdom of God, where we put into place the principles of Jesus' teaching, where we try to uh, emulate them in every relationship, in every situation. We literally ask the question, how would Jesus live my life if he were me? Lord, and as we do that by the power of the Holy Spirit, and by the power of your word, Lord, we believe that we'll be transformed, becoming more like you, Jesus. That's the promise in Scripture. And that those around us may see us as a city on a hill, a salt that has not lost its saltiness. So, Lord, help us to live that path. Thank you, Jesus, that you overcame these kingdoms, not through political expediency or traditional values, Lord, but through the cross, scorning with guilt and shame, prevailing. And, Lord, we thank you, too, for the resurrection that shows us that you didn't just give your life for us, but you give your life to us by the Holy Spirit. Defeated every enemy, enabled us to come into a life-changing relationship with God the Father. The Lord may that become increasingly the seat of our lives as we live day by day. We ask these things in Jesus' great and mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us visit npbc.org.au.